0: All right, Ezra, chapter 9.
1: Uh, last time we looked again, it's kind of, it shifted gears a little bit. You know, as we got halfway through, we actually jumped ahead from at the beginning of Ezra, Zerubbabel and uh, the priest that was with him, Joshua, they were involved in rebuilding the temple and we saw we we followed that story through and at the end of that then there was a, a 50 to 60 year gap between that time and when the author Ezra comes on the scene and during that time, as we're going to see when we get to Esther, that is the time that that fits into the story. And we're looking at this man, Ezra, a man that God certainly placed a call on his heart and gave him favor with the king Artaxerxes to be able to take all of the supplies, everything that they need, all of the money and everything to go and start up and, and properly worship the Lord in the new temple now. And we looked at it last time, and I think it's, it's good kind of a run up if we would back in chapter 7 verse 10 it gives us an insight into this man and again we talked last time about how God blessed him because of his heart for him but verse 10 of chapter 7 says for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel he set his heart he, he made it the purpose of his life, his, his, his entire life based on studying God's word, following God's word, and teaching and sharing God's word. And we talked about the importance of that being in order, but all three being a part of our lives. Studying God's word, obeying it, but also sharing it and teaching it. And we talked last time about how important all three of those are. If you're sharing it, teaching it, without knowing it or obeying it, that's a problem. And uh, so all three of those, and we talked about then and because of that, he received such great favor. He had preference with King Artaxerxes, and we talked about how, how the, the providential hand of God guided and directed him through the four-month journey and provided everything that they need, provided the protection that they needed against the enemies that were coming against them. We saw that um, as we were finishing chapter 8. In verse 31, it says, Then they journeyed from the river Ahava on the twelfth of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was over us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes by the way. We touched on this last time because I had to kind of fly through the last few verses because we ran out of time. But look back in verse 28 of chapter 8. We talked about this when he said, He said to them, 'You You are holy to the Lord, the people. The the priests that were there, you're set apart for God. And it's important that we understand that he's speaking to the priests there, but, but Peter takes this and talks even to us that we as Christians are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for God's own possession. As Christians, we are set apart in the world that we live in as his ambassadors, as his representatives. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that we are stewards of the mysteries of God as Christians. We have been given insight. We, as we've studied and we look through the, God's word, we're told that the, that is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, it's, it's life. It's salvation to us. And we've been entrusted with those mysteries. And, and, and we are to share those truths. In Jude, as he is writing that letter, he said, you know, we have been entrusted with this, and we are to contend earnestly for the faith, the the true faith. It's not to be watered down. It is not to be changed. It is not to be altered. That's not up for us. We are to contend for it and to defend it. And again, study it, know it, live it out, and share it. And I say that as, again, an important lead-in because as we we now get into chapters 9 and 10, we're going to see that Ezra received something when he got there. There was something waiting for him that was something totally different than no doubt he expected. I don't know, if you, if you haven't read ahead, you probably were, were thinking as, as, as I would when I, if I was reading it through for the first time, he's going to get there, a nice big warm reception, everything's ready to go. No doubt he was excited to just jump right in, but he finds that there's problems waiting there. As we begin in chapter 9, it tells us now when these things had been completed, all of the, all of the articles had been recounted, everything was there, everything's ready to get started for the worship, The princes approached me, Ezra, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands according to their abominations those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptianites, and the Amorites.
0: He gets there and nothing has changed. God, God took, the, took the people of Judah
1: away to exile because they did not go away from the ways of the people. And he comes back and he's expecting things, man, obviously we must have learned our lesson. And he finds that the people are still intermingling with the people of the nations. And notice the main thing that is the part of it is according to their abominations. Verse 2, for they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves, for their sons, so that the holy race is intermingled with the people of the lands. Indeed, the hands of the princes and the rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. Not only was it the people, but he said the worst part of it is the leaders are the biggest perpetrators in this. When we saw back, if you'll remember, if you've been a part of our study through Ezra from the beginning, back in chapter 4, when, as I mentioned, Zerubbabel and Joshua were there. Remember, they went to work on the temple. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Now when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the people of the exile were building a temple to the Lord God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers' households and said to them, Let us build with you, for we, like you, seek your God. And we have been sacrificing him since the days of Aseran, king of Assyria, when he brought us here. But, verse 3, Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the father's household of Israel said to them, You have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God, but we ourselves will build the house of the Lord our God in Israel, as King Cyrus has commanded. So they came to them then and they got it. They said, no, we, we are not to be in, in partnership with you. you. You serve pagan gods. You don't serve our God. But within one generation of that, not only had the people s- slipped back into that, but the leaders were foremost in this unfaithfulness. Compromise crept in that fast, and it corrupted all the way through all of the people. Guys, the enemy is crafty. That's how we're first introduced to him back in Genesis. Above all others, he's crafty. He, he's, he's sneaky. He's a liar. And he convinces that just a little compromise won't be a problem. Just give in a little area, a little bit here, a little bit there, and it won't be that big a deal. But we see it's a very big deal. Now, one thing that is hugely important before we move on and and see how Ezra deals with this is many people point to this and say, well, see, this this is a verse. This is an example against interracial marriage. Guys, there is no mandate anywhere in the Bible against interracial marriage. And I, for one, praise the Lord for that. Because in a West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. And I had to write a song about that.
0: Guys, there's there's only one race. It's the human race, and there's only two mandates
1: that God gives to us and, and def- defines as marriage for us. It's between one man and one woman till death do they part, and the only other distinction is not between races. It's between being it's between the saints and the aints. It's it's a, the division comes against believers with non-believers. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And that was the problem. It was, the, the problem was their idolatry. The problem was the fact that, that they did not worship the true and living God. They, and, and if they did, and when they did, it was, it was not the true and living God. They were worshiping their version of Yahweh God. And Paul says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Second Corinthians 6.17, therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I liked, uh, if you were up at the men's retreat, uh, Pastor Barry shared with us that we are not to be in fellowship with unbelievers, but we are to be in ministry to unbelievers. And I loved how that, just simply putting it that way, makes it so clear for us. We're not to be in partnership or fellowship with them, we are to be in ministry to them. We are to bring the gospel to them. It's not that we are to separate ourselves and not have anything to do with us with them. No, we are to take the gospel out. We are to go and make disciples. That is our call. but we are not to be in partnership with them. And specifically, specifically and, and pointedly, with the message tonight, with regards to a, a romantic relationship up to and including marriage. If, if any young people here tonight, any single people here tonight? Uh, Absolutely not, if they are not a Christian. Do not fall into the, 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 the lie of the enemy that's, that will whisper in your ear, yeah, but you can make him or you can make her a Christian. And, and that, that's the, I've, I've heard it so many times. It grieves me. One of my good friends years ago came to me and he said, Brett, I know God is telling me to marry her. I know he is, and he's going to use me to bring her to the Lord. And I looked him right in the face, and I said, God is not telling you that. I can tell you on the basis of God's word, he is not telling you that. And I pled with him, and it cost us our friendship. I mean, he ended up getting married. Or I shouldn't say, I mean, we've remained acquaintances, but it, 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 was, it, was, it was divisive. But it's the truth of God's word, and I love you enough to tell you that. And and you need to heed God's word. And again, I'm not I'm not saying if you if you know somebody that is like that and there's a little bit of a, a interest there, do not take another step until they become. Don't stop. Don't stop sharing the gospel with them, and let us know. We'll all be praying for them. But don't take that next step until
0: until that happens. And that was the problem. That is what the, this this whole thing was about. And they had gotten
1: so much into it and fallen so much into the abomination, into the idolatry. And when, when Ezra sees this, notice his reaction, verse 3. When I heard about this matter, I tore my garment and my robe, and I pulled some of the hair from my head and from my beard, and I sat down appalled, or, or literally devastated. Again, no doubt, this is, he had no idea that this is what he was going to face when he came here. And I, again, it doesn't lay it out for us clearly, but I believe that, that people, he's coming and he's sharing the word of God and he is, he's living it out. And when people heard that, they were convicted and people came to him and said, Ezra, there are people here and this is what it's come to. And when he hears that, he is devastated. He sits down in great mourning. And I have to say, you know, again, we don't, we, we don't know much more about his emotional condition, but this is a great first step in, a, in, a, in something like this? Because I don't know about you, my first step is, especially at this, I've just traveled for four months, 800 miles, carrying all this stuff, thinking this is what I'm going to find and this is what I find. I can tell you what my flesh would want to do. I'd want to tear somebody else's hair out, not mine, <laughs> for, for obvious reasons. But, but for other reasons too. I mean, that's my flesh reaction. I'd be more like Nehemiah. We're going to read about him. That's what he does. But, Ezra's first response is he sits down in mourning before the Lord. Even before he prays, he just goes broken. And that's this this sign of humility, tearing his garments, mourning over what he has heard. Almost like there's a death that he is dealing with. But notice the response of the people too. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me. And I sat appalled until the evening offering. We'll get a little bit more to that later because we'll see this happens a couple of times that the people keep coming to Ezra, drawing around him. Finally, here's one that is taking a stand for the truth of God's word. And there were those that were quiet, watching all of this and disgusted by it. It says that they trembled at the words of God, but they were watching this going on, but they were remaining silent. Now Ezra is here and they're drawn to him. But notice, he doesn't preach at the people, he prays for the people, beginning in verse 5. But at the evening offering, I arose from my humiliation, even with my garment and my robe torn, and I fell on my knees, and I stretched out my hands to the Lord my God. Notice again his humility in his prayer. He said, and I said, oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face to you. I'm embarrassed to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen above our heads and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. You see the the humility that comes out not only in his actions, not only in his position, but in his prayer.
0: Does something jump out to anybody else in his prayer right away? Whose iniquities does he say? Our iniquity and again i'm so convicted by that because so often i'm saying lord them them but i look at this prayer and again the the humility and the honesty in the prayer
1: and i, th- I think of isaiah in isaiah chapter 6 again it tells us that that when he sees the lord seated on his throne his response is woe is
0: me For I am a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And
1: in that, again, the humility and the honest assessment, guys, when we go before God, a prayer that that he hears, that he embraces, is when we come honestly ourselves. And regardless of who we're praying for on a human level, we are far closer to their level than we are to God. Even though Ezra is not guilty of the sin that is grieving him here, he also knows that I am far closer to
0: these sinners than I am, that holy God that I am going before. And it is it's it's a it's a delicate thing.
1: It's a it's a it's a dangerous thing. We were talking about this a couple of, of the elders and I yesterday just did some conversation two things to me that are untouchable when it comes to s- certain areas. And those are the sovereignty of God and the holiness of God. And there is a whole lot of debate and all the back and forth, like, you know, the Calvinism, Arminianism and, and all of this type of stuff. And there's doctrine out there that says, again, once you're, once you're saved, you don't sin anymore and all of this kind of stuff. Guys, there are two things I don't, I, 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 I can't touch. I fall on my face before. The sovereignty of God and the holiness of God. Whenever I start putting myself on a level closer to God and further away from other people, guys, I am lowering the bar. I'm not raising myself. I'm lowering the bar. I'm touching his holiness. And, guys, we can't do that. I love the humility of the prayer. Even though this is a specific thing that he's coming to them, he says, our iniquities. I'm on their level, Lord, just as Isaiah was when he said, when he said, I am a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. In all honesty, he's standing head and shoulders above them. Nowhere close to the holiness of God. I
0: sound like I'm beating on something there, but guys, that's so important. So important. He's interceding for them. He's going
1: before the king of kings and For our iniquities have risen above our heads, and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. He says, Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And on account of our iniquities, we, our kings, our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, and to plunder, and to open shame as it is this day. They're still in captivity, even though they've been given freedom to go back there is still, the Persians are still over them. Artaxerxes is still their king. Ezra is acting with power that was given to him by the earthly king Artaxerxes. And he said, we're still here and we're here because of our iniquities. We're in this position because of our sin. But, and I love this, verse eight speaks again of the grace of God. But now, for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us as an escaped remnant there's still a people of yours. That's an amazing act of grace. We should have been wiped out because of our iniquity, but because of your faithfulness, because of your grace. You have protected a remnant. And to give us a peg in this holy place. What does that mean? A peg in this holy place. Well, it's interesting when you do a word search on that word peg. It, it, that, it's, it, that is a great translation for peg. Because... When you think of the word peg, there's a whole lot of definitions in English, too. There's that little peg in your coffee room that you hang your coffee cup on, right? But when you put a peg, you you put a stake in the ground, that's a peg, you know, tent tent stakes, tent pegs. That's the same translation in, in the Bible or in the Old Testament here for this Hebrew word. And when I think of peg, especially when I did the word search and I'm thinking of what the meaning is here, I'm thinking of JL. And Sisera, and if you know the story, she, she was one bad lady. You don't wouldn't want to mess around with her. Sisera fell asleep, and he was the bad guy. And she took the tent stake and drove it right through his temple into the ground and killed him. Um, nice visual there. But imagine that stake. It wasn't the little peg you hang your coffee cup on. And this, he's saying, you have given us this, this stake in the ground, if you would, in this holy place. We've been able to put the stake in the ground and say, we're going to go forward from here. We're going we're to build out from here. And again, by your grace, that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. For we are slaves, yet in our bondage our God has not forsaken us, but has extended loving kindness to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us reviving to raise up the house of our God, to restore its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. God, you are so good to us, so faithful, so patient, so kind, and extending grace to us now to allow us to come back to the land, to rebuild the temple, to have the remnant here,
0: to have this time of refreshing. Now, God, verse 10, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken
1: your commandment. You have been so good, yet we have forsaken you. And again, notice here, guys, in the prayer, he doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't doesn't become defensive. He doesn't shift any blame. Notice, what shall we say after this? We have no defense. We have no excuse. For we have forsaken your commandments, which you have commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying... The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land with the uncleanness of the people of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from end to end and with their impurity. And that is the problem. God told the people to go in and get them out, wipe them out because of this. Their abominations, their impurity the land was rich and flowing with milk and honey. The land wasn't the problem. It was the people that were in it, the impurity, the abominations. And he warned them, going all the way back, don't intermarry with them. Don't, don't be partners with them. Don't, because they will turn you away from me. And sure enough, every time they did, they didn't, they didn't bring the, 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 the pagans to Yahweh God. No, they were sucked into idolatry, just like God said. And that's the problem, as he says, Again in the prayer. As he continued, verse 12 continues with that. So God saying to them, So now do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters to your sons, and never seek their peace or their prosperity, that you may be strong, eat the good things of the land, and leave it as an inheritance to your sons forever. Follow me and you'll be blessed. After all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and our great guilt, since you, our God, have requited us less than our iniquities deserve. Again, your, your grace, your mercy, you haven't treated us as we deserve. We deserve to be wiped out. We, deserve not, we don't deserve any, any more chances, but yet you extend mercy to us. Guys, never ask God
0: for what you deserve. Never ask him for what you deserve. You do not want what you deserve. Grace and mercy is what you want. And have given us an escaped remnant as this.
1: Shall we again break your commandments and intermarry with the peoples who commit these abominations? Would you not be angry with us to the point of destruction until there is no remnant nor any who escape? You would be totally justified again now, giving us this second chance, opening up this opportunity for us if we fall right back into that to totally wipe us out. Oh, Lord God, you are righteous. For we have been left an escaped remnant as it is this day. Behold, we
0: are before you in our guilt. For no one can stand before you because of this. Ezra, it tells us, is praying this prayer out loud. He
1: is before all of these people that have gathered around him. And he lays it out. And again, what it, what a great outline for a prayer of mo- brokenness and mourning over sin and it's interesting because Ezekiel 22:30 records God God saying and this was before this goes back to the time when before the exile and God said I searched for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it but I found No one, because there was no one that had a heart like Ezra at that time to stand up in the gap, to stand in this way. As Ezra is here, it tells us that God moved then and took them off into captivity. He looked, but there was no one. And we see this. What an amazing man of God, this Ezra is. He reminds me of one of my my heroes. Is, is Elijah, and the story of Elijah, and up on Mount Carmel. And, you know, he said, how long will you waver between two? If Yahweh is God, serve him. But if Baal is God, serve him. How long are you going to go back and forth? Waffling back and forth. And, and Joshua, same thing. You know, choose today who you're going to serve. I mean, if it's that bad of a deal for you to follow after God, then go after the other gods. But choose today. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And this, this whole idea, and that's what's going on here. I mean, the, the Levites, the priests, the leaders, they're, they're leading the people and, and partly to follow God. But again, it's not just their words. It's their actions. And because they're leading in that direction, they're leading all of the people this way. And that's, that's a problem. Being, having, trying to have one foot in each
0: camp. Jesus in, in the book of Revelation said, I wish that you were hot or cold. Be, the, be either on fire for me
1: or ice cold towards me. But because you're lukewarm, the word is literally, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And that's the, that was what was going on here. There's this lukewarmness. And here we have this man, Ezra, who is willing to stand in the gap to pray. And look what happens when that, when that takes place. Now verse, chapter 10, verse one. Now while Ezra was praying and making confession, weeping and prostrating himself before the house of God, a very large assembly, men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept bitterly. All it took was one man to stand up and stand in the gap and take a stand for the Lord and to be broken over the sin that that he heard of, that he saw, to pray and intercede, And a large multitude came, men, women, and children. Shechaniah, the son of Jahiel, one of the sons of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. So now, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility, but we will be with you. Be courageous and act. Ezra, you're the leader. And you have gathered around us, but we're gonna support you in this. And this man, this, this Jahiel, isn't one who took who took one of the wives. He, he wasn't one who had wives of the foreign women. We know that because at the end of this chapter, there's a list who did. And he's not listed, but his dad is, and his uncles are. And what he's saying is, it doesn't matter who this is going to affect. We need to do the right thing. We need to honor God in this. And it's one thing to be broken over something to a point of where you have some type of external remorse, but Godly sorrow, Paul Paul writes
0: again for us in 2 Corinthians, giving the definition between godly and worldly sorrow. In chapter seven, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to
1: the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. It was a very clear distinction. I mean, we, can, we probably all can point to a time when we were sorry that we did something or sorry we got caught for something, but it didn't lead to repentance. I can, there was a point in my life, an extended period of my life, where I would wake up and I'd feel really bad about what I had done the, day, the, 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 the night before and the day before. And I'd feel bad about it for a couple of days, but I kept on continuing in that lifestyle for a while until I got the po- to the point of repentance. When I was broken to the point of turning from that and turning back to the Lord, my, my sorrow, worldly sorrow, turns to godly sorrow when it, when it leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, leads to life. Worldly sorrow leads to death. But here we see that there is, there is action, the repentance that follows. And they're saying, get up, Ezra. We're, we're with you in this. Then Ezra rose and made the leading priests, the Levites, and all Israel take, take oath that they would do according to this proposal, so they took the oath. Then Ezra rose from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehonanen, the son of Eliashib. Although he went there, he did not eat bread or drink water, for he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. They made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem and, would, and that whoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the leaders and the elders, all his possessions should be forfeited and he himself excluded from the assembly of the exile. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month of the twelfth of the month and all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and the heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you have been unfaithful and have married foreign wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore, verse 11, and this is a great outline on how to deal with sin in our our life. Now therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers. Make confession, first step, confess. We talk about this, but it it bears repeating. Understand what it means to biblically confess something. It doesn't just mean to admit. To confess means to say the same thing as. So when you confess before God, you are saying the same thing as God. You are agreeing with him that his word is right, that his law is, is perfect, that what he says is sin is sin. And so you you are agreeing, confessing with him. And in addition to that, then what I have done in my life does not meet that standard. And God, I have sinned against you. That is true biblical confession. Again, that leads that is with the repentance to turn from it, which leads to the next part. Make confession to the Lord your God of the, uh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. And separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Whatever it is in your life that is not pleasing to him, confess it. Do what it is that he tells us to do and leads it, to, it tells us to do and not to do. Avoid, the, don't do those things. But then separate yourselves completely, totally. That word separate doesn't mean
0: put a small gap between. Separate completely. This is what needs to be done.
1: Then all the assembly replied with a loud voice, that's right, as you have said, so it is our duty to do. But there are many people, and it is the rainy season, we're not all able to stand in the open, nor can the task be done in one or two days, for we have transgressed greatly in this matter. Let our leaders represent the whole assembly, and let all those in our cities who have married foreign wives come to the, at, a, at appointed times together with the elders and judges of each city until the fierce anger of our God on account of this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Ash- Asahel, and Jahaziah, the son of Tikbah, opposed this. There's only two that said they weren't gonna do it, along with Meshulah and Shebathiah, the Levites, supporting them. So four were in opposition. Everyone else, thousands, were in, in support. Tens of thousands. But the exile did so, and Ezra the priest selected men who were heads of fathers' households for each of the fathers' households, all of them by name, so they convened on the first day of the 10th of the month to investigate the matter. They finished investigating all the men who had married foreign wives by the first day of the first month. So on the first day of the 10th month, they began to do it. First day of the first month, they finished. Many people investigating multiple things. So this was widespread. And I have to say, this—just reading through this—there's probably even some confusion going through your minds, and even some question about. And there, there's a lot of a lot of disagreement about it. I mean, it, is is God justifying divorce in this? Is that what this is saying? And some people even point to this and say, "Okay, well, obviously God's okay with divorce in in situation." Yada blah blah, blah blah blah. Guys, don't point to a verse that, or a se- section that's used once in a very specific point, to make your point. Um, I'll, I'll give you kind of my, my take on this in a minute, but I think that's too important to pass up. If God hates divorce for every reason. And if you're here tonight, and you are in a relationship, and you're struggling, and you are even thinking about it, please contact the church office and let us talk to you. Get counseling for it. They're, they're, it, and it's never too late. I don't care if the divorce papers are already in the mail. Get a hold of the church office. Let us talk to you. Let us, let us work through this because God has better plans for you. God has a desire to restore your marriage. Um, people even, I, I have seen God do unbelievable things in marriages. Even when there are quote-unquote biblical grounds for divorce, like with infidelity and those types of things, I have seen God do miracles in relationship. And so please, don't, don't move forward. Don't try to find loopholes. Don't try to find, find things. Let God do a miracle in your relationship. Now, when it comes to this, and I had mentioned earlier, this has to do with the abomination, the idolatry of the people that are there. And one thing that I read that seems to make the most sense to me when I look at this, because when we're looking at the numbers, because here it says, notice if, you've, if you have a headline in your next next part of there, the list of offenders is listed here for us. Those who had to put away their wives. and that, And you can read that, and I'll actually invite you to later. I'm not going to entertain you by doing that myself with all of the names. But this couldn't possibly have been all of them if you're thinking multiple people for many days are interviewing and talking through them. So I believe, as, as, as some do, that it wasn't that everyone who married a foreign wife, if that foreign wife was not willing to renounce her past, her idolatry, the, the, other, the gods that she has been raised worshiping, and, and surrender her life to the true and living Yahweh God and follow that and become... Uh, proselytized to become a, become a Jew herself, that is, those were the ones that were put away. That, again, that's not what the, the text says, so I'm not going to stand on that, that that's doctrine. But that seems to make sense based on putting this together. Bottom line, the, the main things that, to, to, that we need to take away from this is, guys, God's word is clear. And To go against God's word is sin. And if there is an area of sin in your life, biblically, we're told, we'll show here how to deal with this. Confess it, turn from it, follow God, do his will, and separate yourself from that area in your life. But also, I think there's some great lessons that we have in here with Ezra as, as somebody interceding. Because we're all called to be intercessors for others. I mean, God's gonna lay people on our hearts. If you were here Sunday night, you know what I'm talking about. Intercessory prayer is awesome. When we have the opportunity to intercede on behalf of others, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. But no doubt, some of you have, have people in your life who, family members, friends, um, maybe people very, very, very close to you, loved ones, who either have never known the Lord, have always rejected him, or, or have walked away prodigals, when we intercede for them, I love the outline of, of Ezra's prayer, to, to seek humbly before God, and, and be, so, be so thankful for his goodness and his grace, and, and, but to continue to go honestly and humbly before God, and as we stand in the gap, God is no doubt, again, looking for, for us to stand in the gap for our country, for, for our country who has turned its back on God. I don't believe God's done with the, the United States of America. I believe there's revival yet to take place here. It's going to happen as you and I pray. It's going to happen as we intercede, and as we intercede humbly and honestly before God. The great outline to be praying through as we are interceding on behalf of our country. Uh, one last thing. Again, we talked about this. Again, if you were up at the men's retreat, we're all, we're all as men called to be leaders. But guys, as Christians, we are all called to be leaders. Parents especially, grandparents, leaders, you have them right in your home. We're all leading. The question is, what direction are we leading them in? And we have to be so careful that there's no, there's no compromise. Even a little bit can really start tipping it the wrong way. And again, it went from Zerubbabel and Joshua to this time in just one generation to where the compromise got so out of control. And they're still leading. They're just leading in the wrong direction. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a godly example again like this
0: man, Ezra. Lord, again, it is our desire Followers of the true and living God, that we would determine in our heart to make your word foundational. That everything that we do be based
1: on your word, your guidance, your direction. Lord, that we wouldn't just be readers and studiers of your word, that we would be doers of your word. And Lord, that we would also be sharers of your word, sharing the truth. And Lord, we. We desire that that we would would have your heart. Lord, that we would love what you love and hate what you hate. That we would stand in the gap for for our loved ones, for, for others, for this country, humbly and broken before you. Lord, we do pray that you would heal our land. That revival would once again spread across this land. And Lord, even using the the disasters that have hit in, in Texas, Lord, and as the hurricane is coming towards Florida, Lord, we pray for your hand of protection for those in Florida as they brace for this, and Lord, the, the, the islands along in Cuba and, and everything that are just in the path of this hurricane, Lord, we pray for your hand of protection. But Lord, also we pray that you would use these things and use your people in these times to be a light, to be a bridge,
0: to, be, to stand in the gap for you. Heal our land, Lord. And if there is anything in our lives that is not pleasing to you, Lord, would you
1: show that to us? We can become blinded to it. Like so many of the leaders that we read about tonight, thinking everything's fine. But Lord, it it grieves you. So Lord, if there's anything in our lives that grieves you, Lord, show it to us. And we repent. We turn from it now. We
0: turn to you. We confess it. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.